Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey guys, Dr. Hondorp here, and as always, I'm really excited to share my discussion with you today. Today's chat was, uh, well, was several weeks ago now with my discussion with Emily Van Hoven, who is a physical therapist. She has a doctorate in physical therapy. She's also a certified athletic trainer. And she, I was excited about this interview. I've been, as you may be able to tell, going down a bit of a rabbit hole in terms of trying to better understand women's health and really think about the ways that we've approached weight and health and eating and how that kind of wraps into, you know, on this podcast, obviously we're about moving away from ineffective dieting strategies that cause us to really get stuck in that shame cycle and lose faith in ourselves. But we also want to look at what is effective and what are the things that we can control and pelvic floor physical therapy, pelvic health, if you will, is really, really important, more so than I ever realized. And I've also personally kind of been going down a rabbit hole for the past four years, just because trying to kind of fix some of my own concerns in that area, which there's been a number of different ones. So I am super excited to talk to you or talk to Emily today about these important topics. And what struck me in this interview is Really, I think Emily is amazing and wise beyond her years. She's a couple years younger than me. I didn't actually know exactly how old she was, but I asked her afterwards. And what struck me so much is her talk about holding space for women, being able to meet them where they're at, and helping guide them to take steps that feel doable for them. And it kind of brings up this broader issue of our healthcare team, how they can be really empowering or really disempowering. And unfortunately, I hear stories a lot about how our healthcare team can be really weight-centric and weight-focused and how incredibly disempowering this can be for women. And when I was talking with Emily, I've actually had um, different pelvic floor physical therapists before, and they were all good. But Emily's care has always felt different. So I see, I see her for help with my own pelvic floor concerns. And 
it was interesting hearing her talk about how she shifted away from feeling like I have to throw all the evidence-based strategies, you know, people are paying a lot for this, I got to give them all the things, and how that can really set people up for feelings of shame and failure when they come back and they're like, yeah, I didn't do my exercises. And this is um, something as a provider I've done in the past. I share a little bit about like a group I used to run and how I'm like, we got to get through all the strategies. And I'm like, you know, going on down my agenda. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I meant well, right. And people want to share their stories. They need space to share their stories, process it. And that is how change occurs. So it was kind of interesting parallel to talk with her today. And it made me truly reflect on the importance of having more women in healthcare uh, because women on average, not that men can't do this well, but men, women can be pretty darn good at holding space. And they we need more providers willing to work within the system to create this space, to create more equity within healthcare, which is a major concern just the ability to afford physical therapy is very much a privilege. It's something that I um, fully acknowledge and that needs to change too. So anyway, in this conversation, we do cover a lot, but here's some of the things you're going to learn and take away from this conversation. So we're going to talk about what the pelvic floor is and why all women regardless of your stage of life and and really all humans need to better understand it so we all have a pelvic floor even men we can all develop problems like diastasis recti which is separation of the abs which is something i have but i have some other concerns but there's so many different components to it and it's kind of fascinating not gonna lie kind of frustrating there's a lot to it and i'm still learning about it but regardless we're going to talk about what it is also time periods in your life where a pelvic floor physical therapist visit might be useful and i bet you'll be surprised at emily's response to this we're going to talk about some symptoms that would indicate some pelvic floor dysfunction we will talk about why there's way more to it than just do kegels and in fact that advice which i've gotten multiple from multiple providers may actually not be what you need at all so it might be counterproductive advice for some people we talk about the role of shame, pressure, and shoulds, and how to kind of be aware of how you're feeling after provider visits. And, you know, it's not so much about the strategies. And just as I mentioned earlier, it's about creating space. And then you'll also want to stay tuned for the part where Emily talks about looking at women's abdomens or their stomachs or belly or whatever you want to call it is a uh, part of her assessment and so she's seen a lot of abdomens and i want you to stay tuned for what she says about the key themes she's seeing when women basically show their their stomach or show their abdomen it's a little bit upsetting but i think it's important to acknowledge and then so we're going to dive into all of that emily just some background about her Besides being amazing, she's a licensed physical therapist and athletic trainer who practices in the fields of pelvic health and also has specialties in the performing arts field. She's been working in healthcare for eight years. She has a passion for helping her patients return to what they love. She completed pelvic floor coursework through Herman and Wallace and is eager to dive deeper into that area of interest. She's truly always learning. Um, and presently she only sees women. She sees diagnoses including urinary incontinence, pelvic pain, 
pain with intercourse, pelvic organ prolapse, back and tailbone pain, pregnancy and postpartum related issues like back, SI joint, pelvic pain, diastasis recti, C-section, perineal scar, dysfunction. And what Emily's really most passionate about is getting to know you as a person and walking alongside you as you find holistic fulfillment in your health. Sound good? So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorp here. And before we dive into today's episode, if you're new here, I just want to say welcome. I'm so excited that you've found us. You might be wondering what this podcast and corresponding blog are all about. So in this podcast, we relate everything back to motivation, but not the hustle and grind kind. We talk about truly sustainable motivation that keeps you feeling energized and engaged in your life for the long haul. We talk about why I'm just not motivated is a myth and why the type of motivation you have is so important to fully understand. If you're ready to learn about motivation and respecting your body in an effective way so you can live a life you truly love, you are in the right place. Check out the foundational episodes of the Motivation Made Easy podcast using the links in the show notes or by going to drshawnhondorp.com forward slash one, two, three, and four, or you can just go to the website and you will see all of those there. And if you're ready to take that first step, if you're feeling sort of ungrounded in your values or you're not really sure, you're feeling kind of overwhelmed or a lot of decision fatigue, maybe you're feeling anxious or you're kind of like, what is this anti-dieting approach really about? What my very favorite strategy to work on with people and frankly also within my online program, the by far, everyone said that this was their favorite strategy is clarifying your values. So this is the very most crucial thing to do in developing autonomous and sustainable motivation. So what you're doing with clarifying your values is looking at different areas that different people might value and tying it to things that truly matter to you. So to get started with the first few steps with this, grab the free guide at drhondorp.com forward slash goals, and you're going to be walked through step by step to get really clear on what matters to you so you can start focusing on living a life you truly value. I promise you, you are not going to regret this. And before we dive into today's content today, just a reminder that all information in this podcast and blog are for educational and informational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. Let's dive in. All right. So hello, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. So I'd love if you could start us off by telling us a little bit more about your personal story, how you became so interested in Sounds good. Um, I was first introduced to the field of pelvic floor physical therapy when I was an athletic trainer, actually prior to going to physical therapy school. Um, and I learned about it at a continuing ed conference that I was at. And I just kind of like logged it in the back of my mind as like, oh, that's well, like that's an interesting field. And more like I want to remember that that exists. So if I have any athletes that I'm working with that are dealing with symptoms that a pelvic floor physical therapist would treat, like I will know that there's a resource for them. Um, and then I ended up, um, kind of, I was already thinking I wanted to go to PT school, but I ended up kind of finalizing my decision that I wanted to go into PT school. And then basically the same thing happened. 
happened all over again. I was at another continuing education um, conference for physical therapy students, heard about a different aspect of pelvic floor PT, more related to obstetrics, and um, same thing again, just walked out, in fact, like, walked out with my, um, like, three closest friends from PT school, and I just remember this moment of, like, standing in the hall, and we all, like, kind of looked at each other, and we were like, this sounds really interesting. Like, are you interested in this? Like, I'm kind of interested in this. But this is also, like, I mean, admittedly, like, the weird field of physical therapy. So we were all like, do we want to do this? We are just, like, students. Is it so it was, and, the, like, or is it still the weird field? I mean, I get, there's a couple of weird fields of physical therapy, but I do think it's one of them. Like, okay. I, like, I, even from fellow physical therapists, like, I often get the question, like, I'm sorry, you do what? You know, uh-huh. like, it just, it just begs for that follow-up question. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we walked out of that, and we were like, are we all interested in this? And then uh-huh. we were all really fortunate. We all had a clinical rotation in it, and um, found really good mentors, fell in love, and we are all still practicing in the Grand Rapids area. Oh, that's yeah. fun. Yeah, so, and then to kind of continue on with that story, initially, starting as a physical therapist, I did some general orthopedics, and then did some pelvic floor work, and then was specialized in performing arts. And actually, just over this past year, I think part of it was kind of transitioning into motherhood and then dropping down to part-time hours. I decided to more let go of my performing arts specialty for the most part and really focus in on pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested. And I'm not surprised that that aspect of your journey shifted things. Mm -hmm. It's kind of typically how things go if we listen to what works for us. Is like our experiences are going to maybe influencing to some extent. Yeah. So I think we might delve into that at some point today. But mm-hmm. we'll start with the basics before we delve into some of that. So let's just stop and back up. What is the pelvic floor and um, how can people understand it? So the pelvic floor is the hammock of muscles that line the bottom opening of the pelvis. So if you feel your pubic bone in the front, and your tailbone in the back, the pelvic floor muscle group is going to span front to back from those two areas. And then if you feel both of your sit bones, like your butt bones, it's going to span side to side between those two areas. So the group of muscles is like a big diamond shape with then um, our vaginal openings, anal openings, and then um, for men, just the anal opening. And um, so I think one of the common misconceptions about the pelvic floor is that maybe it's just one big muscle, but it's actually a lot of little muscles that are all working together in different and similar ways. Mm -hmm. Holding up sort of the bottom part of our very important organs. Very important organs. They're holding them all in. The five S's is actually a really um, good way to remember like everything they do. So what you just mentioned is support, supporting all of our organs. Mm -hmm. And then um, sphincteric, which is just a fancy word for like a closer muscle. Mm -hmm. So it's keeping our urethra, vaginal opening, anal opening closed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in, in an ideal state or maybe right. not right? Or if you're seeing me maybe we not know. yeah <laughs> and then um plays a role in um postural support plays a role um in core um core function with that postural support mm-hmm. sexual activity and then serves as a, a sump pump so it actually helps in like the lymph fluid and blood fluid movement hmm. from the upper to lower half Okay, so yeah. men and women both have this set of muscles, yes. but it's mm-hmm. 
a bit more relevant for us. Yeah, ours is just a little more vulnerable with childbearing, if we choose to do so, and then um, having more openings within the pelvic floor just makes it more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, and I personally only treat women, um, but there are many pelvic floor therapists out there. I have several colleagues who treat men and women for pelvic floor dysfunction. Nice, yeah, because men can have the diastasis hysterectomy too, the separation yeah. of the mm-hmm. abs, and babies can have it, so everyone, yep. it's like... Because my next question is, why should we care about it? Who needs to care about it most? And that's kind of related to what we're talking about. Like, it's somewhat relevant for everyone, but... Mm -hmm. Specifically to women, um, I think there's a little bit of a misconception. Well, first I'll just say, like, pelvic floor PT really flew under the radar for a long time. Like, it's been... Yeah, and it still does to some extent. But I think the publicity that it is getting on social media and things like that is often related to pregnancy postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the publicity is that in other countries, France for one, um, pelvic floor PT visits following a a delivery of a baby are just standard. It's like a well-child check. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're seeing a lot of that. Um, And so then I think part of that has created this idea that like, oh, I haven't heard about it or what I have heard about it was related to pregnancy, so maybe it doesn't apply to me, mm-hmm. but I really believe that this applies to all, I specialize in women, so I'm just going to say women, it applies to men too, um, all genders, um, but I really believe that for women in particular, all women should have knowledge of what their pelvic floor does, um, knowledge of how to optimize its function, um, and when I actually just had a conversation with someone the other day that Really, I think, like, there would be several areas that would be an ideal spot for a pelvic floor physical therapist to have contact with someone, and it would be, like, kind of that life transitions, like, in health. So, like, onset of menstruation, um, prior to a first pelvic exam, prior to a first time having penetrative intercourse, um, before, during, and after pregnancy and delivery, and then at the onset and completion of menopause. Um, so all of those times are times where um, either pelvic floor dysfunction that already exists will be highlighted or that pelvic floor dysfunction is more likely to exist. Um, and it is just such a shame to me how many women I see that, like my mentioning of the pelvic floor, I guess their their provider who sent them their mentioning of the pelvic floor was the first of the pelvic floor that they heard um, when, you know, we've been an owner of our pelvic floor our whole life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've done a very deep dive on understanding this <laughs> in the past four years. Uh, yeah, four years. And um, I wish I would have known this before. Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been very helpful. Yeah. Because I think then I could have set myself up for better success. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. either way, it would have been nice to know. Right. And I think that's the thing that, like, even if not everyone needs treatment or intervention, it's just nice to know about, like, that it exists, that if I do need something, that this field exists. Yeah, yeah, so basically, everyone should, you know, particularly after childbirth, you should probably just go, because it's Mm -hmm. not going to hurt, and unfortunately, that's definitely not the standard, as you know, like, Mm -hmm. I was told after my second pregnancy, in a primary care visit at, like, five weeks, like, that I, everything looks normal, you should that looks normal. And I'm like, but I know it's not normal. Yes. Because it's already happened to me once, and I know I need to go to PT, so can you either write the 
referral or I'll just ask my midwife to do it. Thank you. Yes. And I think that's the shame too, is that like, I love and hate hearing patients having to be advocates for themselves. Like I of course love when someone like, you know, seeks out that knowledge and is willing to be a voice for themselves and improving their health. But I also hate that that has to happen because we don't know what we don't know. So if someone just doesn't know that pelvic floor physical therapy exists, they're not going to ask for it. And so we really are relying on providers to bring it up or, you know, like maybe a random Instagram scroll where someone talks about it. Right. There's that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have, I mean, yeah, if someone tells you it's normal, which like mm-hmm. I understand what he was saying, like it looks like it might be normal at five weeks, but it's I know it's not. And yes, a year and a half later, it's still not better. <laughs> so like probably needed some help. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that's really helpful to know. And and so, what are some of the common symptoms that can indicate pelvic floor problems, or that someone could benefit from a pelvic floor physical therapy visit above and beyond just a well check, as we said? Yes. Um, okay, I'm going to read these right off the list so I don't forget anything. And this is like in no order of things I see most often. It was just um, kind of the order in my head. So any form of unintentional urine, gas, or stool loss. That's another thing that's often called normal after. Yes. Um, pregnancy and in the postpartum period and there is there is a it is normal for that to exist for a short time Mm -hmm. and then it should go away Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't go away within those you know first eight weeks postpartum then it's not normal anymore it's just Mm -hmm. common and I really think that's where a lot of these diagnoses get kind of lost in the healthcare system is they are common, but because they're common doesn't mean they're normal. They are not mm-hmm. an optimal state of health or function. Which so, like 400 things and right. like everything in yes. healthcare. Yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> so that was a side soapbox. Anyway, um, so pain with any vaginal penetration or inability to have vaginal penetration. This includes tampon use, examination, sexual activity, any degree of pelvic heaviness or feeling like um, something's falling out that shouldn't be. Um, constipation or other bowel dysfunction, um, existence of a condition that impacts the pelvis. And so examples of this would be endometriosis or PCOS. We know that the pelvic floor really responds to that, I'll call it abnormal activity happening within the pelvis. Um, chronic pelvic, tailbone, abdominal, hip, or back pain. Um, and then any of the above related to pregnancy or postpartum, as well as um, diastasis recti. Also, I'm just going to throw it out there. You can say that like a million ways. It can be diastasis. It can be diastasis. It can be recti. It can be recti. It's tomato, <laughs> tomato. And I think I probably say it different every time I say it. I just don't think about it anymore. Um, I and then, know what I say either. Right? I know. I don't you, know. You say it enough. I think I probably just mirror what is said to me most often. <laughs> or I go with whatever, like, I don't stumble over. That's hilarious. And so people know that is separation of the abs, which yes. is what I have. <laughs> yes, separation of the abdominal wall. And then okay. um, any degree of scar dysfunction. This could be a C-section scar or a perennial scar. Um, from either um, a natural tear or an episiotomy. That is another one that, I mean, again, in an ideal world, everyone who's had a baby would have pelvic floor follow-up. For C-sections especially, I think that oftentimes those are just overlooked as pelvic floor physical therapy being applicable. Um, But there is a lot that can be done to optimize C-section healing that can really, like, save you some trouble down the line. 
Um, and then any sort of um, leg weakness or just having a traumatic delivery, especially if forceps or a vacuum were used. Um, again, ideal world, everyone having a baby would see PT, but mm-hmm. those are some things to highlight. Okay, well, that is super helpful. And what if someone is younger or maybe want to become pregnant one day but isn't there yet? Like, what do they need to know? Should they be worrying about this? We touched on this, I guess, briefly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say the big um, thing that you would want to, of course, again, I want everyone to have knowledge of this, but a big thing to look for if you are younger but are hoping to have children would be any symptoms that are indicative of your pelvic floor being overactive. And I actually meant to say that when we were talking about just the anatomy of the pelvic floor. One of the misconceptions about the pelvic floor muscles is that if there's a problem, it's because they are weak or they are underactive. Women, like, again, the minimal messaging we get around this is that. But for so many women, their pelvic floors are overactive. It is like ear, neck, and shoulders after a stressful work day. They're holding on to too much tension, and um, because of that can be dysfunctional. Symptoms of that are oftentimes the pain or difficulty with vaginal penetration or um, chronic pelvic pain, things like that. So that's especially what I want women to think about who are hoping to bear children at some point, is that if you have an indication of pelvic floor overactivity, it would be so advantageous of you for many reasons for conception, for um, birth, to address that sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes we think it's a Kegel that will help us birth a baby, but it is, is actually relaxation of the pelvic floor muscles. Mm-hmm. All the pelvic floor muscles have to do is like let a baby out. Mm-hmm. They just have to be able to relax and stretch enough for that. So setting up for a successful vaginal delivery is um, curing of your pelvic floor is important. Yeah, definitely, and just, um, that's another of the very bad advice I was given, which is just do Kegels, and, like, yes. that is not what we Ugh, need to do. That is such umbrella advice. It is true for some people that that would be beneficial, mm-hmm. but, gosh, just knowing, like, most women aren't doing them correctly, if they are, it's not really, like, it's not, you're not addressing the primary concern of pregnancy and delivery when right. you boil it all down. And if it was already tight, that would just make it worse. Yes. Like, and a mm-hmm. lot of it's, like, the mind-body connection piece that would be good to establish before you go through this yes. huge traumatic thing. Or, like, yes. this huge shift thing, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that would have been cool to know. Right. <laughs> I have worked with a couple women recently who, for other reasons, saw me during pregnancy. And then we decided we wanted to work on, we can do specific training for pushing during a vaginal delivery. Mm-hmm. And we did that and like, Everyone I work with, but specifically these two women, just remarked, like, oh my gosh, to get to practice this beforehand and to go in being, like, a little bit confident that I'll know what to do versus trying to, both of them said, like, I can't imagine trying to, like, learn what I just learned while I was, you know, like, laying there in labor and trying to birth a baby and, you know, everything going on. And so, uh-huh. yeah. Yes, that would have been very useful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And in terms of if someone is looking for a physical therapist, are they all made equal, or how can you tell if yours has this knowledge or is the right fit for you? Um, Yeah, where should we start in understanding that? Yeah, I think um, asking for recommendations from your provider is a great place to start, or from friends. I know several people recently have found me because they asked on Facebook, like, 
Mm-hmm. Does anyone have a pelvic floor physical therapist? They like, yeah. and it was apparently me. Um, but if you're just like looking and you're like, I got to find somebody and I don't know where to start. Um, just, you know, like looking at different physical therapy clinics and seeing if that that's a specialty that they offer. Mm-hmm. And then some um, specific, a, a specific difference that I do see between pelvic floor physical therapists is that some um, choose to not do intravaginal work. And an mm-hmm. intravaginal assessment is the only way to accurately assess the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that that's wrong. It's just that there's a limitation with what they can determine about your body. And so if you think like, ah, like I like I really need someone to look at my pelvic floor, you want to make sure that it's someone who is trained and very comfortable doing intravaginal assessment. And so that's a great question to ask. And then with that, I think a a good, I say a good pelvic floor physical therapist wants to do an intravaginal pelvic floor assessment Mm -hmm. and is very okay with not doing it if it's not something that you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately... That's what you should look for. You can also ask about their training on the two um, primary like training institutes for pelvic health physical therapists are um, Herman and Wallace or the APTA, which is the Physical Therapy Association. Okay. So those would be questions to ask too. Perfect. Yeah. Just yeah. it's more comprehensive information. But it does seem like even within the field there's like always like most fields, like you're learning and growing and improving too. Mm-hmm. So like, I would also want someone who like you is like constantly learning and growing because they are mm-hmm. like, it's not a field that's been around for a long time. And even if it has, it, everyone can improve. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I could not agree with that more. And that would be something that I would, cause yeah, I, like I was like sharing with you, I'm, I'm still learning new and different things about like even just the ways to, to communicate this stuff. Yes. So, mm-hmm. okay, so that's something people could also consider. Yes, so. I would agree with that. Um, and on this podcast, we're all about moving away from ineffective dieting, BS, and, and really, like, stop helping people to get away from spinning their wheels, um, feeling ineffective, and actually achieve lasting improvements in their health. Um, along with that, I think, is, like, working with your body instead of against it. Is there something that you, or themes that you've seen in women that you work with, um, kind of in this area where they do struggle most with related to like body image, relationship with food? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the obvious things that could be highlighted here is just that like cultural expectation of the like, in air quotes, bounce back. Mm-hmm. after baby if mm-hmm. we're thinking specifically about the childbearing years um like you see that cultural messaging infiltrate women oh gosh like not even just in the childbearing years like just across the spot we were just talking about it today right <laughs> yeah like that we all walk around with our bellies like kind of sucked in because somewhere along the line like we just learned that that was again quotes ideal yes it's yeah, that is certainly it's not the ideal state of your muscles. Actually, very much hurting everything. Yes. Uh huh. Um, so I think that's kind of the I guess the easiest place um, to go to related to body image. But ultimately, I think one of the things that I see women struggle with the most is 
we all are just walking around with so much on our plates. Like, I, you know, I, I can just see, I, like, I can see the burden on women when they walk in the room. School and work and family and raising children and exercise and wellness and COVID. And it's just, like, the list goes on. Um, and so the women that I see who navigate the the best, navigate this, this platefulness the best, that is, um, usually operate on a principle that my own therapist taught me and that's it's impossible to make everything a priority at once like a priority is called a priority because you can only have a few of them and that the the biggest thing I've learned is that it's okay for that to shift and be seasonal you will have two or three things that are priorities for a season and like a season could be a week right? A season can be a couple months. It doesn't have to be an extended period of time, but essentially you just can't have it all at the top all the time. And there's no right or wrong to that order. And so, um, the way I try to address that struggle in my practice is really trying to meet women where they're at in that. And some women walk in and bless them having gone through the postpartum period myself bless them that they had pelvic health and wellness as one of their priorities and lived that out in their day-to-day because that was I was not following my own advice early postpartum I was trying I was was not not doing it (laughs) and so um I really you know if that woman walks in like of course I'm giving her stuff to do at home of course I'm you know just like empowering her she's like she is thirsty and I am giving her stuff but like the woman who walks in and like wants this nobody walks into pelvic floor PT like not wanting to improve their health right but a lot of times just the way life looks like the way your cards are currently dealt like it's just not there are other things that will take top priority Mm -hmm. and I think just helping women to understand that that's okay Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be right now And so with those women, I'm really trying to empower them with tools that they can use as convenient and then kind of talking about like how they can use them in a season of life where that can be a priority for them. And um, I don't know, I think ultimately, I know ultimately at, at the root of all of that is shame, right? Like our list of shoulds and our list of things that will make us enough that we're never meeting. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the other things I learned from my therapist is those things that craft shame, like having me tell you, like, I need you to go home and do a hundred pushups and then not doing them. Right. I also would never tell you that. But, <laughs> I mean, good, good on you. If you are doing that, I would never tell you that. Um, you know, if you go home, I've told you to do that. You don't do it. And you have to come back and see me next week and like hang your head and be like, I didn't do my pushups. That shame that was stirred up in your brain actually makes you more resistant to doing those push-ups the next time. Mm-hmm. Like the things that stir up shame for us, we're just more resistant to because nobody wants to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that I really try to like weave into my practice is that like, that's not helpful. Like having a list of unattainable shoulds is not helpful for anyone. So let's be real about what can be your priorities right now. And then talk about a season where it might look different. Yeah. I love that because I'm like, I'm laughing because I'm like, so I'm not the only one who doesn't do their homework. <laughs> yes. No. Okay. I too didn't do my homework. My PT would be like, I, I went to um, my friend Jen for PT um, for a long time after having um, a baby and 
she'd be like, so did you do this? Did you do that? And this would be the easiest things. These like weren't even exercises. It was like, put vitamin E on your vulva. And I'd be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Can talk the talk and I try to walk the walk, but. It's so, well, literally in this podcast at the end, we will do our motivation questions. Like, I mean, anyone who's in my community has heard me be like, I haven't been doing my exercises. (laughs) I really want to run. I'm like, "Mm, I'm feeling mad about it, but it's consistent with my values and I'm going to keep working on it. Yes. Uh (laughs) But no, I love that because you're, you're. You're setting up a system where, whereby someone who works with you can like feel more competent and not feel like a piece of crap. Yes. And mm-hmm. like that is what actually fuels motivation. Yes. It's not like you said, you can only do so much. And that, yeah, unless you have like, I don't know, I don't know how we, they can make that the number one priority. That's amazing. That yeah. would be really hard to do. With, that like, would be a whole bunch of other demands. And, yeah. And yet that's pressure I put on myself. I'm mm-hmm. like, this, this is important to me. I should be doing this. And it's like, sure, but also. Right. Yeah. Anyway, when I look back at that period of when I just could like hardly do anything that I was quote unquote supposed to be doing in PT, I look back at it now and I'm like, of course you couldn't. Like you were struggling trying to figure out how to breastfeed your baby. She wasn't gaining weight. Like even just saying those two things alone, like yeah, of course, your public health wasn't your priority. Enough. Right? Yeah. Like, and sure, the yeah, end of story. Continue. Yeah, and then the list could continue. And so I think, unfortunately, especially in the postpartum period, it's this period where, like, we want to do things that are good for our body, but ultimately there's a little bit of a setup. Like, there are a lot of other things that are probably going to stack above in that priority list. Yeah. And that's okay. Yes. And that definitely, that applies beyond even our specific topic right to you know everyone but women in particular of just all the pressures and so yes. not only do we put pressure on them to like focus on your health and like get in yes. a, a slim toned body do self-care okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah but also we give them like these crap tools to do yes. that right like yeah. it's all about calories in versus calories out and yes. let's do it this way and mm-hmm. it's like we also give them really ineffective tools and that's that's been one of the things that's interesting with with this for me is like some of the tools that I've used have felt ineffective so like my motivation didn't continue because I was Mm -hmm. like this feels like it's not working and I was just like yeah over focus on it in a not helpful way but also some of it wasn't really working and so yeah so there's a lot but I love that and that's what like change happens with within relationships essentially like and that's what you're providing to people which is super cool yes I try anyway yeah you definitely do um, what are some, are there some common things that you hear in terms of women being given messages about what their weight means with regards to their health, pelvic floor health, healthy pregnancy, anything there that you want to comment on? Yeah, I guess just reiterating what I said, just that like cultural expectation of bounce back. Um, I also think like one of the most interesting things I see in my practice, and I don't know why this has always stood out to me, but like I see a lot of abdomens in my practice. It's part of what, like, we assess and look at. Yeah. And I will tell you what. You could have a woman with, I mean, picture whatever you listener, whatever your ideal abs are, picture them. And you could have that woman on the table, and that woman, when she pulls her shirt up for me to do that assessment, will always make a negative comment about her abdomen. Wow. It does not matter what they look like. 
Okay. And that's just really interesting to me that somehow this one area of our body has just culturally, like, just has learned to hold so much weight. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately, it's just the messages in our head. It's not how your trunk actually looks. That's yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if that answers the question, but it's just an observation. No, it does, and it's yeah. kind of sad. Isn't um, it? Because uh, that's just... Right? Like, why have like, we you... been socialized to say that, first of all? Yes. Like, almost apologizing for whatever the state of whatever it looks that like. That is. It's so often an apology. Like, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, of course, now I'm like, did I do that? I might have. <laughs> you know? Like, like I gosh it's so yeah that's yeah it shows that it's really it does not literally matter we get so fixated on like it's what I look like and if I look different I will feel better and it's actually like yes there is for some people like some truth to you will feel like you will experience less overt stigma if you look different potentially or like people might give you compliments Mm -hmm. or you might physically feel like symptom wise feel better right right but like Beyond that, it's like, nope, Mm-mm. it actually has nothing to do with the no. actual appearance. No, That's... and we wonder why women spin their wheels, like you said, like, because the ideal is literally unattainable. Yes. Right? Like, yep. you are chasing a moving carrot. hmm Yeah, absolutely. And everybody's doing it. Doesn't matter what. Like, yeah. what your weight is, what, your, what you look like. Yep. And it's very freeing to not... Yeah. Give a crap about it. Right? Let's snip the carrot off the string and take a bite of it. Exactly. (laughs) That'll work for me. Yeah. Uh, And on this podcast, too, we sometimes, well, often we'll talk about how pretty much every medical specialty that I've seen overemphasizes weight loss as a cure for everything. Um, This, I've seen this pretty commonly with fertility, pregnancy, post pregnancy problems. um, Because, and this is obviously a problem because we know how these things are already really hard things to go through, um, and, like, well, and I've kind of experienced that, like, just even with, like, going through experience of a miscarriage, and, like, Mm -hmm. that's hard enough without experiencing, like, being told that my weight or body somehow contributed to this, um, and so, in preparation for this, I googled weight and pelvic floor, and a lot of articles suggest that excess weight is a major concern here, so, like, is this true, is it possible that other things are getting blamed <laughs> or like weight is, you know, being overemphasized? What are your thoughts? Right. So I do think that culturally, I agree with everything you just said, that there is like an overemphasis on that in the healthcare community from the healthcare providers I work the closest with. I don't often hear a lot of that, but I did say like, I don't know, maybe patients just aren't relaying that to me either, that their providers have said that. And all I can go off of is I know that that's not something that I bring up often. Um, Unfortunately, weight does play a role in pelvic health, but really I look at it as a very small piece to the puzzle. Like I said, it is not something I emphasize or even often bring up in my own practice. Outside of educating people that you may see fluctuations with symptoms as your weight fluctuates. And that's something I always try to empower people with is, understanding why their symptoms do what they do and so the discussion about weight is just ultimately helping them understand like oh my gosh as women we fluctuate like five pounds within a day Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so just helping someone understand that 
yeah, when I when I am feeling a little heavier in my body, I might experience more urine loss, for example. And when I'm not feeling that way, I might experience a little less, or honestly, vice versa. And um, and so, yeah, what it boils down to with the pelvic floor is that ultimately more weight on the pelvic floor means that the pelvic floor is having to do a little more work and that the pelvic organs have a little more pressure on them. And so we can see how that would be dysfunctional. Um, but what I also believe is that like we just see time and time again that our bodies are really resilient and that ultimately like our tissues learn to be okay with what they've been dealt. And so chances are your tissue probably learned to structure a little differently if you, you know, are carrying a little more weight in the pelvis. Mm -hmm. And that could be due to actual like pounds on your body, or it could be to, you know, like a a uterus that looks different or something like that. Mm -hmm. It sounds like to me, it's very similar to other like fields in in medicine that we focus too much on weight in my opinion. Well, and based on fact, but but there's like, it's weight is more of an outcome and or like weight and the factors might co-regulate meaning like they might change together but it doesn't necessarily yes. mean one is causing the other per se I mean yeah. it is possible mm-hmm. and I have certainly worked with people that are like they know like they're like I've gained a bunch of weight I know that this isn't working for me um especially if they've like had binge eating disorder for many years and they know mm-hmm. that that's was contributing and like we also know that the medical field does a really bad job understanding like body diverse or respecting body diversity and the fact that like the number itself like how your body is made up matters more than anything and like Mm -hmm. that absolute weight or bmi might not really tell us anything yes it's so i -hmm. guess it it sounds like there there's like a lot of parallels with the way we see it overemphasized in other specialty areas and the fact that like it's not we're not saying it doesn't matter at all we're just Mm -hmm. saying like Here's the, and a lot of it's correlation. We actually don't know cause because we can't actually no. know cause. There's mm-hmm. actually just not a good way to like randomly assign. No. And no cause. We no. can just like look at relationships. So. Yeah. You know, as we're sitting here chatting too, I, I don't know why I didn't think of this example when I was looking at this question initially, but several months back, I had a patient come in as a new patient and, um, she shared that she, she's a first time mom. She went to her first prenatal visit and um, she shared that what the provider talked about a large majority of the time was her weight. And she just left feeling like, you're telling me, like, I am carrying, I'm carrying new life. And, like, all you have to talk to me about is my weight, which, like, I'm not going to change it now. No. And um, so she changed providers. I was like, good for you. Way to advocate for yourself and find someone who's going to be supportive of your body in its current state. Yeah. Which is healthy and carrying a baby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably the nature of, like, what I do versus you do, because I hear these stories all the time. Do you? Yeah. Because, yeah, I also ask about it. Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) Like, because I want to understand, like, how do you think about your body and how does weight bias play a role? And it's Mm -hmm. interesting, though, because it happens literally at any weight. So I've heard stories about people... Like, who, like, yeah, have a BMI that's technically in the normal range, and then, you know, you you put on, like, 45 pounds instead of it's not within the 25 to 35 range, yes. and they have session with that, and it's like, oh my gosh, I just mm-hmm. can't, I just can't. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. 
And like, and we could go on a whole tangent about like comments in your body during pregnancy. Can't oh yeah, we could tangent about that. <laughs> can't. I can't do it. <laughs> like, just no. So, uh, yeah. So I'm glad you haven't heard a lot of it, but I do think it's unfortunately occurring. There's some shift though. I think, um, certain providers are less likely to do it, of mm-hmm. course, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. And patients are getting, I think, more, um, willing to advocate and or switch to. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so all of these things like pelvic floor dysfunction, diastasis recti, other concerns can have a major impact on how we feel about our bodies and ourselves. And for some aspects of our identity, like things we really enjoy doing or even just day-to-day functioning can be majorly affected or taken away. How are you seeing this impacting women? What do you recommend in terms of helping them kind of feel more empowered? Yeah, um, I am so passionate about this. Like, I was glad you asked this question because this very specific area of pelvic health. Um, and I think oftentimes it's really overlooked, right? And I know I am guilty of it too. I'm guilty of it currently. I've been guilty of it in the past. You know, you just get so like zoomed in on the patient in front of you and what is happening with the structures in their body that you want to assess. And like, you just can sometimes like forget about everything else that's going on. Um, and so for me, when I read this question, like it ranges from, Um, you know, someone's like inability to use a tampon or just feeling like weak during daily tasks, like getting dressed or taking care of kids or like not being able to engage in an exercise that you loved after a pregnancy or something like that. Um, And that is helping women become empowered um, to like improve their daily function and to be able to do that themselves like to walk alongside her in that um that will never fall lightly on me um most recently I um have had a few patients who have started being able to use tampons for the first time in their 20s in their 20s um and hearing them talk about how that has changed their life like just what many of us would look at as like a very small thing. Like that is such a victory in my book. Yeah. Um, and then I think this really plays out from, um, again, this is certainly like a shift from my own experience with exercising postpartum, um, but I'm really passionate about helping women learn to navigate, um, returning to exercise really after any change in health, but especially after having a baby, because there's so much, misinformation out there about it there's I mean the six-week like postpartum follow-up alone that follow-up visit I could that could be a whole podcast like oh I couldn't (laughs) let loose about everything you get cleared for at that visit but I will I I think I think you all can uh, hear my hear my opinion on that but um circle back (laughs) yeah maybe we'll circle back to that maybe that'll be a bonus episode (laughs) a bonus rant um but Anyway, just helping women figure out how to do that in a way that feels good in their body, especially for women who that was already a part of their life beforehand to love exercise for the joy of it. Like it is just so easy to see the mental and emotional impact that has on someone who can't engage in that activity in the way that they used to Um, and trying to help women figure out how to do that in a way that feels good for them um, is just... Yeah, I love that part. Um, And my philosophy on it is, like, I mean, I would be doing you a disservice if I was just, like, 
oh, you like running and you're six weeks postpartum? Sure, try it. Like, that's that's not my philosophy. Yeah. My philosophy is I want to share with you what the research tells us. And if we use running for an example, research is minimal. But what the research that exists is telling us is that you should do, like, 8 to 12 weeks of a strengthening program specifically geared at, like, the muscles you need for running and that are most impacted by pregnancy and delivery. And then, um, sorry, and that's eight to 12 weeks of that strength training and consistent walking. And then you progress to a walk run interval progression. Um, and so I will tell people that, that, you know, this is what the research tells us and this is what would be, you know, best for your body. But like, tell me where you're at. Tell me about what running means for you. Tell me about, you know, like, what are you dealing with mentally and emotionally postpartum? And then, like, let's weigh some pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Like, if you feel like that going out and moving your body in that way is what you need to feel like you're a better mom, more likely you used to be, just more like a human, then do it. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately... If you do it a few times and you don't go crazy with it, you're not going to do any damage, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's surely not going to feel ideal, most likely, if you are dealing with some symptoms. And ultimately, I would tell someone in listening to your body, you're listening to, you know, when you engage in an activity, ideally, you're not experiencing any leakage. You're not experiencing any prolapse or heaviness sensations, you know, no pelvic pain, no hip pain, no back pain. Mm-hmm. But then also just trying to meet somebody where they're at and say, okay, but like, well, it's just, like, okay to work around. Yeah. You know, I was okay with that. And that really um, played into my own journey when um, I had a significant amount of prolapse after um, delivery and waited a very long time, you know, trying to um, help that heal and doing a lot to have that heal. Yet still, when I ran, I was not comfortable. And it was also in my head that running just wasn't good for it. I'm like, you know that, like, impact activity is not going to be good for that. And then I would get all in my head when I would try to do any sort of running because I would have that heaviness sensation. And I'd be like, once again, you're not following your own advice. And it was my own PT, Jen, who was like, and what if you just ran? Um, Like, you know, like, what if you just ran? And you said, yeah, I also know some things that I can do about that symptom afterward. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. And so you know what? Going on, like, a couple runs... I, I had some symptoms, and ultimately, I realized, like, that's, that helped me in my transition of just, like, that's not the season I'm in right now, is running, and that's okay. Like, I transitioned from that's not okay to that's okay, and that's what helped me just step away from running for a while and re-engage it when I felt much, much better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I love that because it's, like, permission giving, and it's, it's really, like, challenging the, the medical model traditionally of, like, here's the rules, here are your rules, yes. follow the rules, otherwise you're bad, yes. and mm-hmm. instead, informed choice, and that's what we talk about all the time, is, like, autonomy, that is, yes. informed choice, here mm-hmm. are your options, let's weigh the pros and cons, I can support you, I support whatever choice you make, Yeah. and that's super empowering, mm-hmm. and cool that, yeah, 
it is hard to get there sometimes for ourselves. Sometimes we do yeah. need someone to help give us that. Mm-hmm. Because we're like, yeah, there's some ways you're thinking about this that are like not super yes. ideal. Mm-hmm. And are you back to doing some running yet? Or are you still I in am. Yeah. Yeah, I'm back to, I'm back to doing some running, which um, feels really good. Nice. Um, that's actually the answer. What is it? Like what's something I have intrinsic motivation oh, for? Yeah. It's running now, which nice. that was, was not the case before. So, um, okay. yeah. Yes. I, that's awesome. Yeah. There is hope. And in, like, you were saying, even just for me, I catastrophize. So, like, I'm like... Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. All my organs are going to fall out, and yes. I, then I will probably die. Yes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. that's yep. not good. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like... And it's so easy to, like, not even, like, see the level of catastrophizing you're doing. <laughs> like, until someone, like, slowly reels you in. I'm, I'm, my poor <laughs> husband tried so many times to reel me in. I mean, shout out to him. Because he was like... About this, it's probably okay, right? <laughs> it's not okay. Sometimes they know. Sometimes they know. Yeah. And we're like, you don't know. You don't know. You're I'm not- the pelvic floor physical therapist. You don't know. You've never birthed a baby. <laughs> yes. Oh <Yeah>. well. <laughs> this is a great transition to my next question. Yeah. Because you were doing this work before pregnancy, and you've alluded to this transition that you've gone through as you've um, become a mom. To how old is Harper now? Seventeen months. Okay. And how has this shifted your understanding and approach to our bodies? Yeah, even trying to like sit and think about this question ahead of time. I mean, I've had a million thoughts about it over the past seventeen months, even before that. But um I mean I think ultimately after having a a very challenging birth in a very challenging postpartum period, like, the thing I could recognize most as, like, I don't know, you know, like, where where anyone's faith is at, but from my perspective of faith, like, I could recognize that God had woven that story as mine for the purpose of being a better provider, like, without a doubt. Like, there was a lot I questioned about why that had happened to me or shame around why that had happened to me. Like, I'm a pelvic floor PT. Why couldn't I birth a baby better? Because you can't control everything. That's the answer to that. It's like you can't control everything. Right. Um, but that was that piece of knowing that that was going to fundamentally change me as a provider was the piece I never questioned. Um, and there's, yeah, I still have trouble just finding the just right words to describe that change. But I think one of the biggest things is um, just creating more space for women to share stories. Birth stories, stories of chronic pain, stories of you know, things that have happened in the past. Um, and I used to attempt to do this as a provider, but I think in the back of my head, I was always like, yeah, 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 this is a waste of time. We could be using our time more effectively. I'm all, I'm always like, you're paying a lot of money to be here. Like, I want to use your time really effectively. Yes, I want to give you like all the bang for your buck. <laughs> and I think going through that myself, like I recognized that, um, you know, having that traumatic birthing experience myself, seeing my friend for physical therapy and just appreciating the space that she created for me to process my birth, my transition into motherhood. Like that was such a gift and like the palpable healing in my body of processing those emotions, both with her and with my therapist. Um, like that is just an intangible to me. And as I've been far more intentional about doing that with patients, like I see that 
difference in people. I see that difference in my practice. People get weird surveys about me after they see me sometimes where they can like, you know, like a comment on me. And truly like these days, one, like one of my favorite comments to get is that like, Emily Lee, you know, something I'm generalizing, but like Emily walked alongside me in like healing physically, um, but more than anything, like walked alongside me in like a mental and emotional processing of whatever that story was. Um, and I, yeah, like that, again, is something that will never fall lightly on me. Um, and I can't tell you the number of times I have said since being back to work after having her that I have said that, like, I truly don't think that the most important work I do is, like, the hands-on work with your body or, like, giving you exercises to do or things like that. Like, I really think it's holding space for hard things with people and then empowering them in their bodies at the same time. It's that it's those two things alongside each other that are far more impactful than any exercise that I could give you or any manual therapy technique I could do ever. Uh, absolutely. Like you, yeah. The message of like, you're, nothing's wrong with you or your body. Like, I mean, there might be symptoms that we need mm-hmm. to address and like things that we, like, and you're not a piece of crap, right? Really? Yes. That's I love when you say that. Like, <laughs> you're not a piece of crap. I might start using that with people. I'll see how it lands. I just feel like that's, like, I'm just thinking of the messaging you're giving in your office. Like, that's what I think it is. Like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like, yeah. And, and even in past experiences, like, that I've had with, because I've done um, a couple different pelvic floor PTs, and they were bad experiences, but, like, they, I ended up still leaving, like, with, I, Okay, I got really big into the Enneagram, and now I now <laughs> yes. I know that my Wait, number... So what, what are you? I'm three. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> a three. I'm a two. <laughs> that sounds about right. My biggest Enneagram shock was we did we got, like, the couples book to do it together, and I would have told you before that, like, my husband and I are vastly different. Like, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. He is a financial analysis. Like, that says it all to me. And we were both two. Oh my gosh. And my brain exploded. I was a two with a one wing. He was a two with a three wing. What's your three wing? I am not sure, actually. I'm not 100% sure what it is. It might be a two. and it, I can see it being a two. That's yeah, why I asked. Yeah. I, there's one other that it might be. But yeah. Uh, anyway. But isn't our, saying, yeah. the two and a three, isn't our core emotion shame? That was where I was going. I think, yes. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. There's like, it's like anger, fear. <laughs> And, like, I think ours is shame. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Two is, like, shame for not helping people enough. And three is, like, shame for not achieving enough. <laughs> and then, like, when those two things overlap, when helping people is your achieving, that's just, like, oh, gosh. It's quite bad. <laughs> it can be good. But, yeah. So, I'm like, okay, oh, I mean, no wonder I talk about this so much. Because I'm like, yes. <laughs> shame. 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 In the same way. think of that, like. Game of Thrones scene. Did you ever watch it? No, don't ask me about any pop culture, anything that's relevant. I won't know. I don't know that much. There's a scene where it's like, shame. Shame. With a little bit. I wish it was a valley better. Not good. My friend friend Melanie and I, Melanie's also a public floor physical therapist. We actually see the same therapist. Mel Mel found her first, and then I fell in love with her too. And, um... I can see us, like, having conversations together with a little, like, shame bell. <laughs> like, Hopefully, also, yeah. naming it and then yes. spelling yeah. it and yeah, letting it dissipate. It. Yes. <laughs> anyway, oh. tell me about your PT experience. Well, I still felt, feel 
feelings of shame. Like, I still felt like I was doing it wrong. And, like, I wasn't getting what I was supposed to be doing. And I always felt bad about myself. Even though that person was not trying to make me feel like that. But it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the way that you've, like that experience has shifted your view because it, it's very consistent with like what we know about therapists and the good ones are, it's all about the relationship. It's mm-hmm. not about the, the cognitive behavioral strategies or acceptance and commitment mm-hmm. therapy strategies. Like I'm all about, and I can get way too caught up in that. Like I've done that. Mm-hmm. I had a group for people struggling with stress eating for years and I had eight sessions and we had to cover a lot. So we had to get through all the strategies. Yes. And I think people were like, can we just tell our freaking stories? Like, come yes. on. Like, <laughs> just let me tell. Can put your agenda away. Like, uh-huh. And it's, I've also come to appreciate like that's That's kind of one of my goals with my program, but even more so with the program, the next round is like just more space um, yeah. to share. And that's kind of what the podcast is about too, but mm-hmm. in a, in a more even connected way like yeah because so people can not just hear but like yeah even if it's virtually I think there's huge value in that so, I do too and that's like how change happens yes. and yet we feel like we gotta give them all the evidence-based strategies yes <laughs> um I'm wondering too if you experience the same thing like when I do provide that space not always but oftentimes you can tell like that as a patient we're very used to the like patient provider model of like this provider has so many minutes with me and I'm going to try to be as concise as possible and give you the spark notes version of what I've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Like I had a baby and, um, I'm trying to, you know, get back to having sex and it hurts. Like, mm-hmm. and then they like, look at me and it's like, you can say more about that. If you, want. <laughs> you know, like it's interesting how, again, culturally, like in the medical world right we've been a little trained to that too that there's not space there's space some places go to therapy if you want space go to therapy regular therapy not physical therapy but like keep keep that out of your pcp's office or keep like keep that out of other places and like gosh that's just can you imagine like how much more effective healthcare would be if that space was provided all the time oh yeah now how have you created the space within the healthcare system i'm curious about this like Because you have enough time. Like, I feel like you have enough time when you're with me, but, like, how do you do that? Yeah, it's really, like, having less in my head that I want to get through. Okay. So you just give yourself more flexibility with the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, like, when it comes to an initial evaluation, like, if you were to read textbook, all all the things you're supposed to look at for, you know, a new patient who's coming in with some pelvic floor diagnoses. Um, you know, ideally, you know, you get through all of these things looking at how their body moves and then you do an external pelvic floor assessment and then you do the intravaginal pelvic floor assessment. Yeah. And these days, like, it is far and few between the times that I actually do, like, a full assessment on the first visit. Uh Because I've just really come come to realize that the benefit we will get out of space existing for you to share your story will pay dividends compared to us getting through this examination the first day mm-hmm. and I'm always again I'm always about patient autonomy and flexibility with that I'll give them the option and I just usually say like hey you know like we can do this exam today if you know this these portions of the exam today if you want to there's no pressure to get to everything what's your comfort level and just kind of let them choose and there are some pe- people who come in who 
they are coming in to know what is going on with their pelvic floor yeah. and like they will be darned if they leave not knowing and yeah. I totally respect that and appreciate that yeah just figure out how to create that space elsewhere but basically just like flexibility flexibility and yeah. like and in removing some of the pressures and shoulds of like I have to check all these boxes because yes. someone told me I had to do this assessment this way that's yeah. fascinating and also I see some parallels with like how I do my intakes now of yeah. like because that's really hard when you're first meeting someone you're like yeah. we got 60 minutes feel, go, feel, go, feel, go, feel. go do you have this symptom do you have this yeah. symptom so it's, yeah it's not really conducive to a long term healthy relationship and that is what we know is most important that's yeah. super cool um, this is like definitely like far end of the spectrum of flexibility, but I'm seeing a young girl right now who, um, had not had penetrative intercourse prior to marriage, got married only to find out that she was unable to. And I mean, the, the emotional weight of that, um, is heavy. Like it's just a lot. And she came in the other day and she was just defeated. Like you could tell like a, a couple tries of having sex more and like didn't go well for her and she was just defeated and she was really stressed about it. And so we talked a little bit. I did maybe 15 minutes of, you know, quote unquote PT with her. And then I was like, you want to go get a cup of coffee? Aww. Like that's what she needed. Like yeah. she did not need me to provide her PT that day. Like she yeah. needed to walk along. She needed someone to walk alongside her who had dealt with something similar and was able to say like, yeah. I hear you. You know, like, this is just hard. Yes. And sometimes that's where the benefit is. Again, I'm not, like, walking to coffee with all my patients. I'm not doing insurance fraud. Like, I need to, just, you know, put that out there. Just to be (laughs) clear. Just to be clear. But, yeah, I love that because, yeah. But they never would have done that. Like, I don't know, two years ago, I would have been like, oh, we have, we have to stay in the PT room, Uh you know, because you have a visit and it's 45 minutes long. And I just think (laughs) this is my, this is my soapbox. Like when we have more women giving input and like different ways to do things, we get like more innovative, actual solutions. That is my thought. I love that. I will soapbox. That's the third episode. Like that's the more I see. It's just like, oh, okay. We don't actually, and that's at the, not the bringing everything, like bringing everything back to me, but. No. The, the ways that I've been sharing on this podcast was uncomfortable for me because I was like, well, I don't want to make my patients uncomfortable. I was no longer very uncomfortable sharing because I was just like, whatever. Yeah. And, but I was worried because we're taught as therapists, like, like, don't share. Yes. But I'm like, hmm, I don't find, and I was so anxious about it. I'm like, I don't want to offend them or have them learn something and like be upset. And I'm like, Actually, first of all, there's no issues so far. Maybe, mm-hmm. but if so, we can work through it. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, and, like, we don't have to do this antiquated model of, no. like, this, my therapist, I got it all figured out. Yes. So, yeah. I don't need to I'll tell you about you my perfect life. <laughs> Let's help you with your not perfect life. <laughs> Let's help you yeah. with all your mess. Oh, I feel like it comes, like, down to what, you know, like, I think it's Brene Brown who says it. Like, just, like, how good does it feel like how much do you let your guard down when someone sits across from you and says me too yeah right like yeah oh even just saying that it's like you too yeah right like it's yeah. just like hugely yeah. powerful and yeah you could I could that's the other thing you could tell someone it's normal all day but that's a different experience than having someone yeah. say that's normal and I experienced it if it's true mm-hmm. obviously it's not always true yeah. but Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to bring it back to how has my practice changed since giving birth, 
when like you have every pelvic floor problem in the book after giving birth, you just, I mean, I just have a lot to share these days and that's how I'm looking at it. It's like, I just have a plethora to share about and make people feel very comfortable about. I, so. I have no doubt that you do and that's, it's a gift, like really it is. It is, like, yeah. For, for them. When I was, like, hobbling around two weeks postpartum, like, hardly able to walk and, like, my bladder emptying spontaneously without my control, that didn't feel like a gift. But, you know, like, 16 months later, yes, that is a gift, like, to be able to say that, like, to make somebody laugh in that first visit, and, you know, that's a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so we kind of touched on this, the intrinsic motivation question, which is what's something you have truly intrinsic motivation for? You do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior itself in running, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately it comes down to like having felt like I lost that ability for a while has just given me like a significant shift in how I view it. Like I truly these days view it as a gift. Like even when it's hard, even when I'm out of breath, like I still like my brain just always like comes back to and it's it's not I don't have to work to get to that place. Like and so you didn't like it just, before? I wouldn't say I didn't like it. It was definitely just a like I did it because it was good for me and like yeah, if yeah. it felt like a good run I liked it. And if it uh-huh. didn't I was like meh Okay. So, <laughs> so I think like kind of hit and miss then. Yeah, hit and miss. And yeah. where the shift was the most was just like I no longer shame myself for like my pace or my distance or the number of times I stop or yeah. things like that. Like that like that internal like dialogue like weighing in on the run is just gone. Like I just really awesome. don't care. Like if I stop eight times, great. If I stop no times, great. Nice. Like regardless, yeah. it is good. Yes. And, yeah, um, I can certainly relate to. Well, yeah. I had the intrinsic motivation before, so like, mm-hmm. I'll get back. Yeah, so, yeah, that's super cool. And what about so in terms of from a should to a choose to? What's an example of a behavior that was always a should for you that you may have struggled to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently? Um, you know, either because you value it or because it's and or it's part of your identity, even if you don't necessarily always love it, but now you do it a bit more consistently. Yeah, I guess I after I answered the intrinsic motivation one, I was like, oh, maybe running would be this, but I really think, like, my narrative around running now is just so vastly different. Like, it's so intrinsic. And yeah. I'm like, no, I can say running for that, and then just say exercise in general for this. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, in college that I started, you know, like, I was not a college athlete, so I stopped playing sports in high school and got to college and was like, hey, should probably, like, do something physical with my body to, you know, like, feel good. Um, But it was definitely, it was not rooted in a desire to feel good. It was rooted in a desire to look a different way than I did. Um, And over the years, it's just really become something, um, sure, there are times in life when I can tell my motivation kind of shifts back to that should or I'm doing it to look a certain way, but ultimately it's just become something I value um, and um, most of the time enjoy. Um, And I've seen an even like further progression with this postpartum, like I described with running, not shaming myself when it doesn't look like how I think it should look Um, and really just being able to value physical activity for the what it provides to my overall well-being mm-hmm. yeah and really like 
uncoupling it or untying it from the appearance-related yes. motivation. Yes, that says that, it so that's well. it. No, like, that's it. Yeah. It takes mm-hmm. it away from so many women. So many people that I work with are just like, what? Like, you know, they're kind of baffled. I, I think mm-hmm. definitely people that I work with, I'd say it's like eh, maybe 50-50 of like people that are like, yeah, I still actually like exercise, but they still have a bunch of body shame. And mm-hmm. then a lot of times it's like it just encompasses and zaps it and keeps – any exercise from feeling enjoyable because it's always just like a that. means to an end. And yeah. Calorie burn. And then like, yeah, how would that be enjoyable? That? No. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I always fell on sort of the cat- the side of like, mostly exercise was pretty enjoyable because I never pressured myself for it for the most part, except until I needed to do pelvic floor PT exercises <laughs> to get to running. Yeah. That's when the pressure came in. And, and like, that's when the motivation like shifted and crumbled. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, well, where um, can people learn more about the work you're doing, connect with you? Um, yeah. Um, so I work at Spectrum Health at our campus in Ada. Um, if you're interested in seeing me as a patient, um, I'm just including this to save save time um, in emails if anyone's looking for my contact info. But our clinic number is 616-825-3520. And our lovely front desk guru, Tracy, can help you figure out referrals, get you scheduled, etc. And um, it doesn't have to be me, you know, like just any public floor physical therapist. We are so... I mean, we are so blessed in West Michigan that we just really have a lot of amazing pelvic floor PTs, and that's not true for most areas. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, you really can't go wrong. And the one piece of advice I would give is that most pelvic floor PTs book out a wings. So if you're, like, thinking, like, I don't know, maybe I'm interested, like, go ahead and just make the appointment and then decide in three months, you know, if you really want the appointment yeah, still. Because it'll it. usually, yeah, it'll usually be like a couple months out that you'll get booked. Um, yes. Unless, yeah. you know, there's a random schedule shift, but. Nice. Good, good to know for people that are in the area. And then what's the kind of main takeaway you want people to take away from our conversation today? Yeah, I would say just that there's so much value in, you know, like knowing, and honoring your body. Like it's one thing to know your body and to know your thoughts and to know your emotions, but it is, I think honoring those takes it to a whole nother level. And we're very good at not doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, ah, I need, what'd you say today? Like I need more rest. And then, like, not taking more rest. Yeah, right. right. Like, like, good awareness. Yes. So balance. Mm, Okay. (laughs) uh, And then just that, like, I think I speak for most pelvic floor PTs when I say this, that it will just never be lost on me, the gift that it is to help patients do this, to learn about their body, um, empower them in their body, and then empower them in how to honor whatever season their body's in. Yeah. Well said. That's awesome. Thanks. So everyone go see a pelvic floor PT. Yes. Have one. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been loads of fun, and I appreciate your time. Thanks. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. 
Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the Bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime. I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. So what are our takeaways from this? First of all, I think we made the case that pelvic health and pelvic floor physical therapy evaluation and treatment or touch point with these types of professionals is incredibly underutilized and you know taking the lead from some other countries like France who are making these types of appointments standard care like a well visit it would be beneficial if we're supporting particularly women um, in kind of healing their bodies and and doing so in a really way that allows them to continue to function optimally and feel feel great throughout their life. So we need to do better as many in many areas. This is certainly one of them. And we also talked about there is way more to it and we didn't dive into all of it, but there's so much to this area of our body and it is way more than just doing Kegels. So you know, I highly recommend if you haven't already, and even if you have, I'm still going to pelvic floor PT when I can, well, to be honest, it, I go more when we've met our deductible and it's affordable because it is pretty expensive. However, I do try to make it a priority and I'm still learning things and actually to share a win when I'm, when we recorded this, I hadn't made that progress yet, but I just made a breakthrough and was able to run on and off. Uh, for like on and off meaning running and walking for 25 minutes without experiencing negative symptoms for the first time in a really long time. So keep at it and it is worth it. You are worth it. Your body is worth it. Making time and space to help your body function optimally is worth it so much. It was very exciting. So thank you for letting me share my win. And Emily said it well, there is so much value in knowing and honoring your body based on where you're at at a phase of your life. So you're not going to be able to do it all. She says this really well too. You can't prioritize everything and that is okay. Just do what you can 
with what you have, with where you're at, and build from there. You can't do it all. Women try to do it all, all the time, and it is making us feel disempowered and worse. So, and finally, I think this interview really highlighted for me, and I hope it did for you, the importance of your healthcare team. And as someone who, I mean, again, I think I've had an immense amount of privilege. I haven't really had a lot of really negative experiences with healthcare, but there is an immense difference between standard medical care and really empowering healthcare providers. And I've experienced it very obviously from my first pregnancy to my second. And that's part of the reason I found Emily was referred to me by a healthcare team that really does a great job of supporting women. And, you know, I think if you are unsatisfied with your healthcare team or not feeling empowered and supported by them, it is worth continuing to look. You deserve better. And sometimes we have to look a while before we find the right fit, but I truly think it is important and empowering and helpful to do so. And yeah, there's there's a lot of different components to that, but the more you can swap out members of your healthcare team that are truly empowering, I think you're going to see the immense difference it can make. It's sometimes for, at least for me, I didn't even realize it can make a difference until until I really started struggling and realizing where some of the other healthcare that I was getting was falling through the cracks, most notably in my first pregnancy and, and really not feeling at all supported and empowered and kind of focusing on what was wrong with my body with, versus what, what was right. So if you're feeling that, you are not alone. Um, but there are healthcare providers who 100% are open to learning and growing and improving how they do things. And so being able to seek those out and find them is again a privilege but can be an immense gift so thank you so much as always for being here i appreciate you and have a great day thank you for tuning in today your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here despite the title of this podcast many of our topics are not always easy change is hard and let's face it life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable that's why i'm grateful grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.